Thanks for listening to the Petapixel Podcast. Catch new episodes every week on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Petapixel Podcast, everyone. This is Jaron Schneider, and I'm joined by my friends Jordan Drake and Chris Nichols, who have had one heck of an early start to this week because there was a, there was a lot that was announced, <laughs> and it's all from Sony. And that's basically what we're going to be talking about today. Like, um, I mean, this is one of the larger launch days for Sony in quite some time. Uh, did you guys have fun with those ca- the the two cameras and the lens? Have a, did you enjoy shooting with them? I like the uh, A7C2 quite a bit. And like, I, I could see myself using the R as like a travel landscape camera. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I know. I enjoyed them very much. And it was nice to see that they've kind of gone beyond the entry level aspect of the cameras and we'll talk some about ways. that and then the 1630 <laughs> yeah in some ways and then the 1635 was of course really nice i mean it, it was optically a beautiful lens that's always fun to test when you have a lens that's quite exceptional in a lot of ways in some ways it had some issues and we talked about that um, and somebody pointed out that this is a great expensive setup if you want to take pictures of sticks in water uh, a reference to of course all my <laughs> slow shutter speed pictures that i took that margaret falls yeah sticks of water yeah they're beautiful they're beautiful Where's well, the joy? We'll, Where's we'll, the joy, uh, we'll dig more into what your thoughts were on that uh, <laughs> beyond what you said in the uh, in the review videos, which everyone should read. Or by read, I mean watch and also read because Chris Reed yeah, writes. Read. Man, I, I'm, I'm all <laughs> over the place today. My, yeah, <laughs> I, as you can tell, I'm a little frazzled. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> just them publishing the videos also goes along with us doing a bunch on Petapixel. So Absolutely. Like, I was up late yesterday and I'm early this morning. Um, <laughs> but I do think we need to talk about what the heck Sony is thinking with its camera lineup and that's going to be our main story today because (laughs) it is getting out of control. Uh, In addition to that, we're going to talk about a couple of other cool stories that happened in the last week. Uh, Rico, the GR3 is just like super popular, even though it was announced four years ago. And then Canon has a new lens patent. And it is probably the weirdest design I've ever seen. I don't know if you guys will talk (laughs) about it. It is cocoa bananas. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get started. So we'd like to thank our sponsor for our podcast episode. It is OM System. Today's podcast brought to you again by OM System. For over 80 years, OM System has been pushing the limits of technology to put the most advanced cameras and lenses in the hands of photographers and visual creators. Whether you're photographing grizzly bears in the Alaskan wilderness, documenting the most remote landscapes in the world, or, you know, shooting a whole bunch of fly fishing like I do with my OM camera, the OM System line of cameras and lenses was designed for the task. They're lightweight, they're portable, they're rugged. The OM-1 and OM-5 give you great image quality. Uh, I love the conceptual photographic tools, you know, high-res, handheld mode. Uh, You can capture beautiful, stunning diesel up to 80 megapixels. ProCap mode is a game changer if you're a wildlife photographer. It really means you're not going to miss the shot as you're tracking animals. Uh, I also do love the live composite feature. You know, it takes the guesswork out of any sort of long exposure photography. So it makes a lot of issues that we had in the past uh, or problems that we had in the past remain in the past because they work fantastic (laughs) now. OM System is making truly incredible advancements that make the lives of us photographers both easier and exciting. Definitely check it out. Visit explore.omsystem.com slash petapixel to learn more. 
Oh, thanks again to OM System for sponsoring the Petapixel podcast. We wouldn't be here without you. And that would be terrible. We <laughs> appreciate it. Thanks, OM. <laughs> uh, so let's, uh, let's talk about the news this week. Mm. Uh, let's start with the GR3. It is so popular <laughs> that Rico is struggling to make enough of them to fill global demand. It is mainly affecting Japan and other Asian countries where it's basically on a two-month minimum delay. Wow. Uh, you can still get them in the United States. I did not check the camera store. I don't know how they're doing with their stock of GR3s, guys. But um, from Adorama, for example, they're expecting like a week delay between when you order and when they ship but i don't know how much longer that's going to stay that low uh what is up with this camera suddenly being so popular yeah it makes me think a couple things i mean first off it's is it something to do with the popularity of the fuji x100 and how i feel this yeah and how difficult it is to get different like this is a this is literally pocketable while the x100v isn't and it's got a better lens and so it's like you know there's this obvious push and desire for people to want these small, compact, fixed prime pocket lenses, which is again why Jordan and I have been saying for years, Panasonic, you need to be making some compact cameras again. I don't know why they let that go. But uh, yeah, it's funny that it's so popular. Um, the other Do you thing think this is a case of like a, a dad walking into the store like my little girl wants an X100V for her TikTok <laughs> and they're like, I'm sorry, here's the next sort of similar thing. And now there's there's too many dads with too many daughters at the camera stores and it's yeah. back ordered. Yeah, we don't really have camera stores here in the United States anymore, except in New York. Like I can't actually walk to a camera store anymore. Then they're on the phone with B and H panicking. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, it's, it's funny. Jordan and I were out shooting our episode um, in Calgary just recently, and this uh, fan came up and he's like, "Oh, I love your show! Like, so great! Thanks, uh, thanks for doing your show here in Calgary. It's great to see you." And then, of course, I noticed uh, at his waist he had a Fuji X100. I'm like, "Oh, which X100 is that?" And he's like, "It's the X100V." And so then, yeah, I I contemplated robbing him. I, I contemplated. Uh, <laughs> Be like, appreciate that you love our show. Uh, hopefully, you don't remember us, but uh, give me your camera. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was neat to see one in the wild, and I guess yeah, the desire is so high. There's other compact cameras though, right? That have fixed lenses. I wonder Not if they're that having the many. Same I mean, that that's what's Not really anymore. odd about it. Like, yeah, the, the older X100V series. I've seen Fujifilm X70s. Remember that, like mm-hmm. fixed lens twenty eight that could not focus to save its life, but people are still like paying good money for it. I mean, everybody <laughs> wants this style of camera. And I do think it's kind of related to all the excitement about film point and shoots as mm-hmm. well. Uh, like yeah. those, the value on them has really exploded as well. And now we even have like Rico Pentax saying, Hey, our first film camera is going to be a fixed lens point and shoot. But I, I'd be curious to see like our, our Fujifilm like X seventies popular again, used, uh, They're fetching more money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Nikon made one as well. What was the Nikon one that they made? The APS-C? They made the Coolpix A as well. I haven't seen many of those, but I don't think many were produced. I mean, Chris, it's been a long time. Um, What do you remember about shooting with the GR3? Because, yeah, I think it's been like four to five years. What is your opinion on that camera? Well, so, I mean, I do like the the lens, right? I like having that more 28 millimeter kind of range as opposed to 35. So that was the first thing that I loved. Um, Handling is beautiful. I mean, I I have had a chance to play with the Ricoh GR film camera. Um, Actually, I think I had an... I forget what it's called, maybe an R1, RS1, something like that. But it was similar kind of form factor. 
And I mean, I love that. My, my only complaint with the GR, their menus are kind of, they look like uh, old Windows DOS programming. Like it's very... Like Commander Keen setup. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's very sort of Zork um, inspired. <laughs> <laughs> I think Zork but was I, text. <laughs> and it, it works. It works fine. But it's not like a pretty easy to use interface. It was like basically one big scrolling menu. But otherwise, yeah. I mean, the snap focus was nice. Images were certainly beautiful out of it. Uh, I, as I say, I love that lens. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I don't know it. anyone it's- who has this camera, and the people who have this camera are very—they're um, very quick to tell you that they have this camera, so yeah. you know who they are. None yeah. of them well, have made many complaints. All of them are like, "I love that I no. purchased this camera. So happy that I have it." Like no one's they're been great. like, ah, "I bought it, but I don't like it." Nobody. Has and then said they that. made those sexy limited editions. Like they have you like know, three or four, and all yeah. of them I like. I kind of like the orange one. I think that's the yes. like the outdoorsy one. Um, one thing to think about that might be a reason why this is suddenly so hard to get, especially in Asia, is because China's demand for cameras overall has just skyrocketed um, yeah. since they have, I think, been allowed to actually travel again. It's, it was ex- when it was restrictive here in North America, and I don't know how it was in Canada, it was probably relatively similar. But during COVID, we were all basically not moving from wherever we were trying to go outside as little as possible. However much it was that for us, it was significantly worse for Chinese citizens. They were really forced to not do anything for years. And so I think there is a lot of pent up desire to go somewhere. And now that they are basically being allowed to again, all of them are buying cameras to go do tourism stuff. So they had a 44% increase in sales uh, <laughs> this past quarter compared to the previous quarter of, the, of 2022. They are easily the largest in uh, the world. Well, I, I think uh, China has a lot of people too. I don't know. I, I believe so, if I recall correctly. The- that's the word. I mean, I have a very close friend who, uh, you know, as well, Chris Tia, who's a teacher there. Yeah. And yeah, she was saying, like, it's just now starting to feel like, you know, it did pre-COVID, um, where I think we've had, you know, well over a couple of years of that. So, yeah, we, we um, just... Uh... And they also, I mean, we were even seeing this trend before COVID, you know, where they were like the full frame camera, medium format cameras, you know, sales were just exploding over there. So they're into like high end cameras, but also apparently really compact, fun to use point and shoot. Well, not point and shoots. It's a good, it's it's still still point and shoot shoot style. Pocketable street camera. Mm. Um, All right. Well, let's, uh, let's chat about. This, this lens patent that I just kind of <laughs> sprung on you guys right before we started recording. So I wanted you guys to get a second to look at it. But uh, yeah. Canon has patented probably the weirdest design for a lens we've ever seen. Uh, it has a bunch of internal moving parts that appear to flip like teleconverters that are inside mm-hmm. the lens body up and around it so that you can change a prime lens into a different prime lens am i describing yeah. this well chris like uh, yeah you- i mean it's yeah you basically it's like you have your main prime lens all the elements and groups together as normal and then behind it you have these assemblies of basically just basic teleconverter elements and it With looks like gears so many yeah, gears. gears looks like i mean they basically just flip up out of the light path and then flip back down right like it's yeah it's it's not from an engineering standpoint, that crazy, but certainly from an application standpoint, very interesting because it means that you can make sort of a fast prime, like a 50, and then it could also be a, maybe a slightly slower 85, for example, right? Or, or 100 mil. Um, 
kind of an interesting thing. You know, I don't know how similar it is to Leica when they did their Trielmar. It's a very different idea, but yeah, that same that kind of idea. Yeah, didn't change the aperture, so it couldn't be a teleconverter in the Leica. But yeah, a very similar idea. I mean, I hope they go, yeah. looking at this design, go full steampunk with it. like <laughs> make, And make it make loud sounds when you put the teleconverter in like... <laughs> Well, you know, and it takes yeah. time, and it like oh, it pushes out steam as it's like powered by that. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, what what is what is cool about this is that they're doing it with a prime. Like, obviously, this technology isn't crazy. Like, a lot of the professional wildlife telephoto lenses have a similar setup, right? Where you've got teleconverter elements that you can put in or out of the light path, all built into the housing. But of course, with a long telephoto, you got lots of real estate. Whereas yeah. here, we're talking about a fairly compact. Prime lens. Obviously, the design is going to be larger than than if it didn't have these elements. But it's neat. It's yeah. a neat idea. It's compact yeah, in I'm the just sense that it doesn't stick out that far. It's still yeah. It's going to be chunky. Like looking at the size it's of it, it's going to be bulbous. At least yeah. the diameter is at least the height of a camera. I don't know. I don't think you could put a video plate under this because I don't think it would. I don't think it would fit flat. Yeah, maybe it comes with a custom riser. And I mean, you're going to need a custom lens bag. There is nothing <laughs> on the market that's going to fit this weird but it's oddity. It's like, it's like dual primes, right? It's like a cool dual prime kind of idea. So I yeah, think sure. this is a very cool idea that Canon internally, their engineers will make a working prototype internally and realize this is fragile as hell. There's yeah. no way <laughs> never that this is going. Market. We can't even guarantee it'll make it to the store and still work. So this was <laughs> wow. cool. We own the patent and we're moving on. Cause I do, I just right. don't think that this is a good idea from just a use of like this thing. I don't know. Rattling around. Can you imagine checking this on an airplane? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah no but way. I mean, you know, no, yeah. no they'd be, be like, fine. put your wizard technology. Away. <laughs> we don't want that on an airplane. Yeah. I, mean, I, I remember too, they had a big telephoto and EF mount that went, I think it was like a 200 to 400, something along those lines. And when we were working at the camera store, we had to caution customers like, mm. do not be auto focusing or zooming the lens. When you engage this teleconverter, you can break it. Yeah. And that's like a professional optic. Um, now, since then, like Nikon has brought out teleconverters in their lenses, and they've told us that there's no issues with that. But I'm still not autofocusing or zooming while I'm changing I the mean, element. It still seems pat- fragile to me. This patent looks pretty solid. I mean, it's not amazing engineering. It's basically, yeah, yeah it elements. Makes sense. There's too yeah. many moving parts, is what I'm arguing, for me to feel yeah. comfortable. Because this is not even getting into the autofocus system either. There's other moving parts in here. Sure. But I mean, if you drop a 50 mil 1.2, you're screwed either way, right? I mean, I just think you could <laughs> rattle this thing. And it would it would eventually like you'd hear like a sprinkle ping and then it wouldn't work anymore. Ah. <laughs> get rattling around in there. All right. Okay. So with those out of the way, let's talk Sony. We'll start yes. we'll start easy and we'll move into difficult. And okay. so let's start with very simple, the completion of the G Master Zoom Trifecta. The yes. Go, Chris. Yeah, 1635, oh, yes. F2.8 G Master. Yes. So you know, Sony, of course, has improved their G Master lenses. The original 24 to 70, the 70 to 200 were stop gaps, but they left a lot to be desired. They didn't compete with their contemporaries. So they've updated those. And I mean, the new 24 to 70 is one of my favorite lenses I've ever used. The 7200 is compact. It's crazy sharp. So Sony had a very high standard. And it makes sense they left this to the end because the original 1635 f2.8 was actually not a bad lens, right? It was decent not even that lens. old. No, no, yeah, it's like you know, six, uh, six years, old. yeah, 
you know, but this uh, this new one finally has replaced it. They managed to reduce the size. They added an aperture ring, which for some reason a lot of people are very upset about. Um, you know, it's uh, it's nice and compact, and optically it's nice. I mean, the only knock I would give it is the the ghosting is pretty bad. Like there's there's a fair amount of yeah. ghosting. Bokeh is nice, not like the nicest, but it's all right. But it is sharp. It is sharp and consistent no matter where you focus. Even at wide open f2.8, it is very sharp, very good contrast. So I was quite impressed by that. You know, looking at the charts, I was like, oh, this is a pretty neat lens. And, and on top of that, 1635, I think, is a classic general yeah. purpose landscape lens. So it's going to be popular, I think. It's one of my favorite focal lengths. Um, yeah. yeah. So I'm glad, I'm glad that it's good. Not that I was expecting anything else. Sony, well, Sony's been on yeah, such a crazy roll with their optics. They like, haven't made a bad high-end lens. No. Since years. the 24 mil 1.4. I mean, that I really consider <laughs> yeah. the turning point for all of their lens design. And you have to remember, too, because Sony's been doing mirrorless for so long, when they brought out the original 2470, 70-200, they were completely comparing it to DSLR lenses, right? Yeah. Like the Canon yeah. and especially like the Nikons there weren't, theirs weren't great compared to what we have now, uh, where the 1635 came out once we were already starting to see lens design really improving. So yeah, I liked that lens then, but when Chris sent me the charts and I'm clicking through and I can't tell, you know, usually it's like, oh yeah, this one's sharper has, you know, or vignetting or whatever, but they all looked identical. Like whether it was yeah. wide open or stop down, <laughs> focused in the corner, focused in the center. It's nuts how yeah. good this lens is. Like I would definitely, I always review as stuff's coming in because I'm editing the images. And I think this is probably the best wide angle performance I've seen in a zoom. Um, but of course I haven't shot all those older lenses on our new lovely test chart. So it's tough for me <laughs> to compare, but definitely one of the best yeah. zoom ultra wides we've ever seen. It's nuts how good this thing is. Well, that's good to know. Um, that is, I like it. They're not as you know flashy and exciting when when a new lens comes out is like a whole new camera body. Um, but I think that lenses are so important <laughs> that it's nice to see continued emphasis on making good ones. So I'm yeah. happy that that Sony keeps doing it. Um, I will say I've made this I made this argument years ago, but I find Sony's lenses to be a little too clinical. In this case. I think it's fine for a lens yeah. that's this purpose. I, f I think that I, I'm more th referring to like their um, portrait primes. They don't have any character to me. They are just pure performers. And I like a little character, which means usually less than perfect performance when you look at a test chart. Right. So you're, you're more Chris, of a like a... Yeah. You're more of a like a guy than you are I like, a Tice guy? I like it when... Yes, I like it when a lens get fringes a little. I like a little of that. <laughs> I, I think it's neat to know that you're shooting with this specific lens when you can see it. But yeah, when it comes to like these ones, all of these zooms and this trifecta, I think should be clinically yeah. perfect lenses. And I think these, this is a really good example of it. I'm happy for them. I'm glad it works. Do you think this is just another one where Sony is like, shut up about our lens mount. Look at how good this ultra wide is. Cause this yeah. should be one of the most difficult types of lenses, you know, having a smaller, um, lens mount that's further away from the sensor plane yeah. and uh they're killing it do, so. do yeah, people so, still actually think that matters oh sony's dude. sony's yes. funny they're they're kind of like um they, they've got a bit of a chip on their shoulder they're a little vindictive they do. in, in a good way guy personally <laughs> yeah where it's like if somebody says you know if it gets out like ah their lens mount sucks like their their pro lenses aren't good you know that they're just going to take that but they're going to stew on okay. it who says that 
just random oh, people on the internet? Oh, tons of people said that. I don't tons understand where like, that oh. comes from. Their lenses in the G Master series have been outstanding for years. How can you possibly sure. argue they're not good? People because people the other manufacturers reputation. do. I mean, like yeah. Nikon and Canon both made big deals at their launches of like, look how much bigger our mounts are, and that'll give us optically superior lenses. And you know, like Nikon dropped and knocked on us, which <laughs> no one will ever use. Like I think Sony's making a very compelling point that you know, as long as you have some of the best lens engineers in the world, yeah, then yeah. this is less yeah. of a detriment look, than we might have thought when I'm, Nikon and Canon. I'm not a Sony up. guy. I, I've shot Sony, but I don't enjoy shooting Sony, but I've used right. them for years. And I the way that I understand it is that the larger lens flange or the mouth or whatever you want to call it, um, it only makes lens design easier. It mm-hmm. doesn't make it exclusive. So yeah. like Sony is capable of making the same stuff if they wanted to. They just it just takes a little bit more work, which they clearly can do. So yeah. I, I, I just I guess the propaganda worked. People actually believe that the size of the lens mount is, um, it matters that much. Yeah. I mean, it, Sony's like, you know, love them or hate them. I mean, I I've always said their cameras don't have much soul. They really don't. Right. They do feel like tools, but a lot of people want photographic tools that just work Yeah, and love or hate Sony as a company, love or hate their ethos and how they do things. You cannot dispute their technological prowess. It, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous to do that. So you have to show respect for that. And, and they do a great job. I mean, there's no disputing it. So yeah, not sexy, not soulful, but absolutely <laughs> capable every time. So I guess that, that kind of leads into the next part, which is the two new cameras. Yeah. Um, these two new cameras now make Sony's camera line Real big. We're going to get to that (laughs) after. Is there anything that came up during your time with these two cameras that you didn't feel like you spent enough or got to spend enough time on during your review? Is there anything else you want to say about them that because these aren't these weren't review units because they weren't final firmware. So we'll we'll do a review of them later. But based on what you more so. Go ahead. More so video. Hey, Jordan, like, you know, we want to test overheating, you know, really, really kind of see that. But uh, this is as sexy as a Sony gets. So I, I do like that. Yeah, I just feel like you got that across very clearly (laughs) in the review. I mean, it looks better than other Sonys. I don't think it's a quantum step. No, it's not. (laughs) Um, I really feel like when I was editing, I was kicking myself a little for a point I should have made but didn't, Mm -hmm. uh, which is that if you're looking at it as a hybrid tool, the A7C2 is as long as the overheating doesn't wind up being a problem, a better video camera than the a seven four. And I don't know if I made that as clear as I should have, because they have added things like their breathing compensation, their auto reframing, um, to this camera. And it, it drives me absolutely crazy with Sony. I've said this before. Um, you know, a lot of these features, they could add in firmware to the other cameras. Um, but they, it's always like, if you want our latest software features, you're going to have to buy our new cameras. Uh, and it drives me crazy. I think it's a real problem. The A7R5, you know, it's just, do you want a smaller body for less money? Yeah. Um, it's a much less complicated decision, I think, because the A7R5 is a better body in every way, except for... Um, the price but yeah it's very difficult with the a7c2 or the a7 IV because yeah i want the better electronic viewfinder i like the handling on the a7 IV more but i would get the a7c2 for those extra features yeah that's an interesting point i agree like the a7c2 in a way seems like the more compelling 
I, I shouldn't say compelling option. I, I'd say it's like it's the more exciting release, I think, because uh, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. It really is the one that updates over the original A7C in a pretty big way. Uh, it's it's nice looking. I mean, I, I could see, though, both cameras for street photography, I think this would be fantastic. They do have a lower profile uh, for travel. I think this makes a lot of sense. And, you know, people are making good points, and we made the same points. If you're a pro and you're looking for a professional camera for wedding shooting or for studio work or whatever, yeah, it makes more sense to get the A7R5 or the A7 IV where you're getting dual card slots. You're getting uh, actually better battery life, uh, even though they use the same battery. I think you're getting... Um, you know, just, just in some cases, better IBIS or, uh, you know, it, a little bit better control scheme. That might be nice too. So I think in those regards, yeah, it makes sense. But if you don't need that, if you want a backup camera, these are fantastic winners. I mean, they're excellent little cameras. I, I want to make a, like a couple points. First of all, um, I kept thinking back to when I worked at the camera store, when I was looking at these cameras, like it would, you want to just have like, and then you spend a little more money and you get these features, but Sony makes it so much like, well, you spend a little less money, you'll get these features, but you'll lose these features. These software features aren't going to be available on this. This might not get firmware updates. We don't know. It's so complicated now to recommend a camera in that lineup. Um, the other thing I want to mention is the little accessory grip that they're including with the <laughs> A7CR. I really liked yeah. I mean, the A7C original, I hated using, like I want to have a front control dial. Uh, it was The grip was far too close to the lens mount. Uh, with the new deeper grip and this little accessory, I think it's actually quite comfortable. So if you're going out shooting all day, it doesn't take up that much space in the bag. I'd bring the little grippy grip thing. Um, yeah, that grippy grip thing is like, I just scratched my head because it's a little bit of a head scratcher to me. Why not just make the camera just a little bit bigger? Why do we? Why? Why? No. It's the C for compact. It's one no. of the five fundamentals, Jaron. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. You know, I like the grip. I didn't hate the grip. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't need uh, it. I'd be okay without it. Uh, it does improve the handling, but I, not. You know, for me, I'd, I'd live with it. But um, yeah, I'd get an A seven C too. I, I think a lot of people, of course, are still crapping on the viewfinder and and that's fair uh at the price point especially with the a7cr you're like oh yes. maybe it should be upgraded but you know it's it's i guess it's hard to get across in the video it's so much better than the a7c's viewfinder so in that regard i think it was a quite the upgrade whereas i know a lot of people looking at the specs it's not and we always complain about 2.36 million dot EVF. So I'm not giving them a break there, but it's so much better than the A7C and it at least makes it a usable uh, experience. Still not a great experience, but a usable experience. Just out of curiosity, do you, do you have a preference of where the EVF is located on the camera? What feels better to you? Because this, like this is rangefinder style. It's off on the left. I like it on the left side. Yeah, you don't like yeah. it. Because I got huh? a big nose, you know, and uh, yeah, I like it. Uh, I like it on the left side where I can. I can I've just always get found my face proportional. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think your nose is that big. Jordan, do you care? Do you like it in the middle, off to the side? Um, I'm a left eye shooter, so I do prefer centro. Okay. Um, especially, right. yeah, my nose is constantly jamming on the touch screen. Um, so I usually have touchscreen disabled, except with a lot of the Sony cameras, you have to use the touchscreen to initiate tracking. Fortunately, <laughs> they've fixed that now with the latest batch. But yeah. Um, yeah. So um, my other question on this was, do you think they are priced fairly? In Canada, these are very expensive. So we're going to go with the U.S. pricing. 
And I yeah. apologize for the Canadians who have to pay an absorbent <laughs> amount of money. But the A7C II is twenty two hundred US dollars, yeah. and the A7CR is three thousand US dollars compared to the uh, A7 IV, which is twenty five hundred dollars, and the A7 R five, which is thirty nine hundred dollars. So there is a yeah. discount that's stronger on the CR side than on the C2 yeah. side. Do you think these are priced fairly? I, I think it makes sense because, you know, there's a also a bigger performance difference. Like we said, the A7CR is definitely like a compromised camera compared to the A7R5, where the A7 IV and A7C2, God, this is brutal. Duh, terrible. Rattling <laughs> off all these models. Terrible names. <laughs> um, yeah, they're much more, you know, uh, actually quite competitive. So that price difference makes sense yeah. to me. I know people want to see the A7C2 hit that magical $2,000 mark. And obviously it eventually will. Um, but I think that's a, that's a not a bad price. I, I would, it is funny, you kind of have to look at both cameras with the comparison to their, their bigger brothers as different scenarios. And the A7C2, like Jordan said, I feels like it's like an alternative it really feels like an alternative. Do you want a big or do you want a bitty? Yeah, you want more small company. And frankly, you do get better autofocusing, right? You, you do get that. So yeah. better IBIS. So you're actually getting upgrades. Whereas, yeah, as Jordan says, the A7CR, the nice thing there is I figured it might be more expensive. So compared to an A7R5, you could look at that as being a budget thing. I mean, it's almost 25% reduction, right? So that's significant. And I, I think... You are still getting the fantastic focusing. You are still at the heart of it, getting that great 61 megapixel sensor. So I see the A7CR as almost being like a budget-friendly camera for people who want the main benefits of the A7R5 but don't need the fancy body and, you know, the faster frame per second shooting, you know, and the IBIS is still good. It's still been improved. So yeah, 8K. I mean, who needs 8K? Yeah, the 8K right? is so, actively bad on the A7R5. Yeah. Five, so that's so. not a loss. So I see the A7CR is actually the budget camera. And and frankly, between the A7C2 and the A7CR, it's not like the biggest gap price. It's big, but it's not the biggest. Yeah. If I were going to like just shoot on a tripod, like do landscape or especially like architecture, like all those people should grab an A7CR. That mm -hmm. would be fantastic. You're just using the LCD anyways. It would be totally usable. But yeah. if you're, I'm going to go take a portrait and put the camera up to my eye, you know, I'm going to go for the bigger bodies. So that kind of leads into the the discussion I want to get into because like what is Sony thinking right now when it comes <laughs> to their camera lineup? Um, so I was going to end with this, but I think it's better to start with it because this is a good way to get into the, the mindset. I want you both to tell me every camera in Sony's line from entry level You're to highest monster. end pro. And so I want to know, like, do, so we had. Do we do one, and then the other person? Uh, yeah, does I think the next so. Jordan, we go all the way up the line. Let me okay, tell I'll you right now, there are <laughs> so many that I, I would, I'd be very impressed if you get them all. I don't I, think yeah. you can. Are we so doing see, full frame is, only, or are we going no. from crop? Oh, every you are camera, every ILC, because this is the thing they classify entry level. They use that word on multiple types of cameras, whether it be APS-C. Or full frame. Now they, yeah. they they may add words in there to make it you know some point of like line drawn. But the average camera buyer is going to see entry level, and then they're going to see Sony and try and pick something. Right. And I'm looking at the line right now, and this sucks. So there's <laughs> too much here. But I'd yeah. love it if you two former camera store employees could tell me the clueless buyer 
what I and have music from. There's this still is, some cameras from when we worked at the cameras. Yeah. Which was five years ago. Go, Chris. Well, this is tough because like the assumption that we've always made is that Sony doesn't discount any, like uh, not disc- discontinue any cameras. Um, but they do. They have discontinued a few. Yeah. yeah. So, so these it's are really ones annoying. that you can still currently buy. I'm, I'm, I, we have, so Jeremy, Jeremy okay. Gray, our news editor, he put together this list. And these are the ones that he says he could find actively being purchased right now. There is even after his research, there were some he wasn't actually sure. So So, I'm going to be a little bit lenient. The most basic one, I think, I don't know, price wise is probably the ZVE 10 because that's like, that's the vloggy vlog. So I guess that's where we started. Okay. That's where you start. So then I'm going to go 6,100 is the next one above that. Correct. Now is the A6000 still available? I think it is. No. <laughs> See, that's funny. You guys just did what he did. I, I'm not sure is what he wrote. And you basically just covered that. So, like only in so far as I think they made so many that you can still find them for sale. Yeah. I trip on them all the time because that was like the most popular camera <laughs> yeah. in the world for four years. Okay. So A6 yeah. or A6100, those are the ones. Yeah. They're basically the, the, they're comparable. So that's the next so, one. Correct. So then we're going to go into the APS-C bodies. And I'm, I'm sure the 6300 was discoed. I think I remember that. So... Is um, sixty four hundred? I think is still available. Correct. Okay, I'm gonna say the sixty six hundred is still available. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that's easy for me because it'll be sixty seven hundred next. Because that's obviously available. Okay. okay. We're gonna so pause. lots of lot <laughs> lots of APSC bodies available. What the hell already? <laughs> this we haven't even. This is about a quarter of the way yeah. through, and this is what we have. This is. Absurd. <laughs> one so discontinued body and and like one that we're not sure it's still available. We think it is. I Imagine don't someone <laughs> coming in and saying they wanted a Sony APS-C camera and you already had to give them an option among five. Here are five choices. And then you have to explain why you might want mm. one or over the other. Awful. This needs to be truncated to one to two. This is not necessary. There is no reason to have an A6100 and an A6400. Combine that into one camera, we'd be yep. done. The 66 to 67 does also no longer need that line. No. Why is the 66 still there? It's it's just, yeah. just discontinue the camera, Sony. Just yeah, discontinue it. It's, it's okay. So funny. We won't judge you. So funny. And then the ZVE10 is weird because it's not even like named the same as the rest of these. So it's yeah. like hard for someone to understand like why would they get not get an Alpha series when they would get a, a Z yeah. series. That doesn't make Specifically sense mentally. Okay. So whose turn is it now? Is it my turn? Uh, yes, it is your turn. What is the oh. next camera? So now we're in full frame. Oh, this is... Because the problem is there's A7s and I don't know how <laughs> long it goes back. What would your guess I, be? The A7's gone. I know the original's gone. Correct. So I... I don't think the two is still available. So I'd say A7C, I guess, would be the next one. It's I believe the two is available. The two is still available. Oh, you sons of <laughs> it's, it's nice nuts. ladies. Yeah. So Jordan just usurped that. He is correct. It's A7 two. So if A7 two is Great. in there, what's next? So A7 three, I guess, would be next, right? No, A7C. Oh no, but I said A7C. I said yeah, A7C. No, but, but you got yeah. it wrong. So it's, it's A7C. Okay, whatever. A7C. But that's I was. Just, I already said A7C. So A7. <laughs> I love this game. This is great. Yeah, you're right. A7 okay. three is next. A7 three is next. So to recap, okay. it goes A7 two, A7C, and A7 three. Okay. Next, Jordan. I'm gonna say this: the R three still of R three V. R three V. According. So this is where it gets hinky. 
because it's not really sure where these things fit. So A7 III is on this list, but there are two cameras ahead of it that you've missed. That would I be, He believes technically fall if you were to put these in a line under it. So are we doing this by price? R2? There, it's not by price. It's by if you asked Sony in what order would they say oh, okay. these are designed to be like filling niches for. Oh, that's different than what I was. I thought it was by price. But you've gotten pretty uh, far thinking on price alone. Yeah. But now yeah. this is where it gets weird because just as we were just discussing, the A7C2, for example, has features that the A7 IV doesn't. So it's not right. like, and the even though the price is lower, it's technically better in some areas. But I still think they would consider that like an entry entry level camera. So I would say A7C2 would then be your next. Correct. It would be going A7 III to A7C2, even though it's weird. That's so stupid. There is <laughs> one other camera between the A7C2 and the A... And what I, what did you say, Jordan? Uh, I said A7R3. Yes, okay, you did. Um, so yeah. there is one in between there. Uh, is it the ZVE1? Correct. Yes. That's where he put that. <laughs> okay. okay. And you said A7R3A? Yes. Is that is that yeah, a camera? A, that's the a just the uh, it's the yeah. uh, they added they ran out of the old LCDs I'm guessing. So it's the same camera with just a new LCD. The V2. Camera. Okay, in, in the United States it's yeah. known as the V2. Um okay, oh, interesting. Okay. Is, oh yeah. That is in there. Yeah. All right. So yeah. to recap because this was a, this was hard to get to this point for those listening. <laughs> is everybody confused frame, at home cuz I am. A72, A7C, A73, A7C2, ZVE1, A7R3. Okay. A7R3. We are a little okay. over halfway done. Is that I mean, these... just just think how absurd that is? We are only about halfway done. Okay, so okay, so A seven R three. Yeah, and so the A seven S is going to be in there somewhere, but that's a video camera. So it was not I on think his list, but you're right; that should be if, on this list. If we're going by whatever's next from Sony, I would say A seven four would then make yeah. sense. Yeah, correct. Yeah, okay. Then what then comes after A seven R four version two? A7R4 version 2? That is on here, but he put two cameras in front of it, technically. But I think you might be right. I'm going to go ahead and say you're right here. Um, yeah, A7R4. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think that he should have put this in front of the next two. Okay, because then just like they did with the A7C2, there's going to be the A7CR in there as well, I think, at this point. Yeah, A7CR would be after A7R4. Okay. He has it okay. coming. Okay before but i disagree i think the a7r4 okay. would come first because the sensor is older and it's not as not as okay so a7r4 then <laughs> okay. a7cr so um, then jordan what about video you're the video guy where do these a7s's fit now yeah so i think the s would be what's um, even still available oh no 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 because there's also the um fx3 okay I this forgot. doesn't include and the fx30 there's no okay. fx cameras in this list this is only oh, okay. series and z okay. series <laughs> okay so a7s3 then i yes. guess would be next year. correct can you still get s2s I don't no. think so. I think no? he, Jordan has been very accurate with these. I'm very impressed. Uh, all right, we got three more cameras. <laughs> oh, we three have more, more than cameras, that, don't we? Okay, so okay, um, so no, so A7R4. You said you've already done that. All right, so yeah. the last so, camera on this. So list A7R5 is, is correct. Is simple, yeah, correct. Last two, A9 Mark II, correct. But I believe you can still get an A9. I will double check that for you right now. I'm pretty sure you could still get the A9. Um, but then if the A9 II is correct, well, then it's the A1, right? That's, yeah. yeah. 
The Alpha 9 is not available. No? Okay. I think I've been very accurate, too. I'm so competitive, you guys. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. Jaron, he's using that tone I warned you I know. About. It's, it's, it was sassy. All right. So, as a recap Gosh. to those listening, these are all the cameras that you have to choose from. Sony ZV-E1. A6000 or A6100. ZV-E10, I think. Yeah. Uh, sorry, ZV-E10. My apologies. A6400. A6600. A6700. A72. A7C. A7 III, A7 C2, ZVE1, A7R3, A7 IV, A7 CR, A7S3, A7R4, A7R5, A92, A1. This is stupid. This needs to be reduced. Yeah. Discontinue it sounds cameras. like It sounds like one of those people showing how far they can go through pie is what it sounds like. When it's like, <laughs> it's like so here's something I noticed. When I was listening to you do your, your video on the two new cameras, the CR and the C2, it was mentally a challenge yeah. to sit there and try and keep track of which one of these cameras you were talking about. My because wife said the same thing. She's like, my brain just clicked so, off as he was rattling models. So yeah. hard. And this is and not your fault. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is not your fault, Chris. You did this as best as you could, but Sony has made this impossible. They've created niches with inside of niches. And this is already an enthusiast level hobby to where yeah. you would even care about any of this. God, I am really suppressing the urge to cuss right so, now. So 6400 needs to go 6600 needs to go a7r3 needs to go the a72 needs to go yes. yeah so, well i'm surprised that even still existed um a7c original should have should never go. come out no it should stay it should stay um what why why would you if, buy an a7c because that's because that should be their cheapest full frame camera right i don't know no a73 all right but in that case, do you need an A7 III and an A? See how stupid. No, okay. we don't no, actually. We don't need to do their work for them. They need okay. to clean up their own line. <laughs> Let's move on. I put this akin to basically what happened with Apple bef- between the Steve Jobs eras, when he left <laughs> and when he came back. When he came back, the first like the first major time he revamped the company, the problem with Apple's lineup was that it was incredibly confusing. There were way too many products all kind of overlapping with one another in a way that consumers did not know how to make sense of. So he reduced it to some very small number of products and that was it. And they sold really well because of it. He took all the guesswork out of it. Now, Steve was not a good person and I don't like pointing to him as this paragon of businessman, but this was something he did correctly. And Sony desperately needs to clean this lineup, especially considering that all of their products are letters and numbers. There's no words there. So but it's, it's funny because they obviously know they're doing this. Like this is their this is their method, right? So and nobody else does this. So yeah. it's interesting. Well, and they keep gaining market share. So there's no one. Do they? Like, oh, what we're doing is working. I oh, don't think I, they're I, gaining market share. I think they're holding and Canon and is actually in there with them. So it's like they're sharing it, and it's like Sony's not gaining large chunks of market share. They're they had a bunch when they started mirrorless, and they've been kind of holding as Canon is caught hmm. up. I keep so. saying, I want to see more camera models like the Rebel. You know, I want actual words like yes. how we name cars. Yeah. I think that would be so. Because I've said for the longest time, if Canon has the Rebel, then Nikon needs the Pirate, you know, as they're like <laughs> right. entry level, the Bandito. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. W- one the thing Raptor. I think is worth talking about also about these cameras is um, you brought it up and it is an important point. Sony is making it even harder to invest in a camera body when you know in a year and a half, a camera that's cheaper is going to have some features that are better than the one you just bought. Yeah. 
So perfect example, A7C2 and A7 IV. The, the A7 IV doesn't have, I'm putting air quotes, AI. Doesn't we should always AI. use the air quotes for yeah, AI. Because, I'm trying to make that a rule. <laughs> you know, I'm doing the, the, the DiCaprio squint. This from camera Inception. keeps learning. I can't yeah. stop it from learning. <laughs> when, the, when the AI robots blast you with a laser gun, make sure you're holding up air quotes. Then it will be legit AI, yeah. and I will be like, I, I'm not going to use the air quotes when I say, don't kill me, AI. So if you let's, well, you'd let's be put, like, don't kill me, AI. <laughs> so if you guys were putting you back behind the counter at the camera store, and someone came no, up to God, you, and you, no. were, and you were you were trying to tell them what camera to get, does the fact that you know mm-hmm. Sony will not do a firmware upgrade to make a camera competitive in a year and a half compared to whatever they're going to release in that period, is that in the back of your mind when you make these recommendations? I would. Do you think it matters? I. I, I Oh, so my opinion, and everybody's going to disagree with me because everybody hates me. So my opinion is, uh, <laughs> uh, I could see Jordan's face even though I'm not looking at the screen. Um, it's still about the right tool for that person at their budget. So you can't, I, I can't really, as a salesperson, I wouldn't really be that really looking forward to say, look, you're going to get screwed in a year and a half because that's not guaranteed. Um eh. Yeah, I know. Uh, but everybody does that to some extent. So eh. as a sa- you asked me as a salesperson behind the camera store, would I do that? No. I would say like, if this is the tool for the job that you need right now, that's how I would sell it. That's how I've always sold it. Okay. Now, Jordan? Yeah. I mean, my t- it's so much more difficult in video because that's so much more firmware dependent. Because, um, you know, like the A7S III, yeah, uh, A7S III is missing a lot of the features of the ZVE one that shares the same sensor that came out at a lower price later. Like that would really suck if I bought an, and I know that a seven S three users are by far the most vocal, uh, about, you know, I'm losing feature, you know, I paid a premium price and I'm not even getting basic stuff like breathing compensation, their focus map, uh, now things like auto reframing um, or A1 users, you know, going back and looking at that camera, I was shocked at how many features we now have in Sony cameras that just aren't available. Even like their new like function menu for video that I really like using, yeah. not having access to that. Uh, yeah, it just felt like stepping back in time. And that's an incredibly powerful camera. I understand some of its hardware limitations. They can't go back and put their AI. I'm going to Air quoted one more watching, time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, unit in those. But yeah, basic firmware, it drives me, like Sony's policy, I think is just so very the, anti-photographer, videographer. Yeah, it is not, the the Alpha 1 is a really good example because that camera could be so much better, especially if you look at what Nikon has done with the, the Z9 and also the Z8 still. Like they, you know that they're going to be supporting these cameras because they have a history of doing so. So like when you look at how little attention Sony has paid to the Alpha 1, since it came out, uh, it makes me wonder, like, the, I just don't understand why they, they don't, they don't talk about it either. They pretend like this question's not out there. They don't want to answer this. And I'm just, I really am curious what they're thinking at uh, Sony HQ in Japan about like what the rationale is to not support your most expensive camera that is supposed to be with, for all of your pros with even a modicum of what you're putting in a camera that is like uh, more than half as cheap. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the other thing, too, is we know a lot of the time what cameras are capable of. Um, And for them to when we say like, hey, here's a feature that makes sense with some of the other manufacturers, like I'm thinking specifically of like 
Nikon, Fujifilm, Panasonic here. They're like, oh, that actually, you know, is something that we're working on or, hey, well, let's see if that's possible. Uh, where Sony is just a blanket, like, no, it's not in the spec sheet at launch. It's not something we're going to consider adding. Like open gate recording, we know the A1 sensor is fast enough to do that. Why yeah. not give me cool stuff? Because you have amazing technology in your camera, but uh, they don't. But no. It makes me a grumpy pants. And I think it makes, it is a genuine concern. If we're going to, if we're going to hammer Canon, about its closed lens mount, then yep. we should hammer Sony just as hard about how little support they give to people who have purchased their equipment. Yeah, uh, especially support the other than you know, go buy the camera again. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. Uh, let's, before we get into tech support and comments in general, Chris, you have stuff <laughs> on your desk. <laughs> so this is the "What have you been up to?" segment where Chris uh, usually uses it to show something unusual that is not related to photography. It's not unusual. Often, I've been playing with my pickles. So this is, uh, yeah, you know, my gardening. Everybody knows I garden, so I do make my own pickles because my last name is Nichols. Nichols that's not pickles. why you do it. That's why. That's why I do it. Yeah, I think so, that is uh, actually why he does it. <laughs> he felt obligated. Yeah. Well, you know, you grow cucumbers. It's an easy plant to grow here in Alberta because we're limited in what we'll actually grow with our growing season. And uh, we, they make so they're prolific. So I started pickling, you know. So, yeah, look at this. I got lots of jars. Jordan always gets one of these hot chilies in there, mustard, bay leaves, peppercorns, garlic, dill from the garden as well. So, yes, Nichols pickles. Do you do them shelf stable? Like you, there you, you go. I just do liquid? fridge pickle style. I don't fridge like. Pickle. I don't do the boiling canning thing. I don't no. like that either. I don't like how that that affects the cucumber texture. Personally, I like I like yeah, they get soft and mushy. Pickle. Yeah, and then I actually yeah. did. You remember the big zucchini from last week? So or not? How, you know, yeah. How, no, how could can, we you, can you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does everyone remember my gigantic? So I've actually been pickling zucchinis as well. Actually, they taste really good. So I found a way to consume. You're zucchini. a zucchini convert when pickled. Yeah, they're not good any other way, except in bread, <laughs> as we previously discussed. Jordan, what go. have you been up to? I've been editing videos that we have been releasing on our <laughs> YouTube channel. <laughs> no, you've been working? No way! Yeah, yeah, we've got a lot coming up here, and I know how busy you are. Uh, next week is... This week was busy. Next week's busy. The week after that is going to be busy. Uh, we have a lot coming, and it's... Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I'm, I, I'm sorry. You, you, you like to edit your own videos, you say. It's, I do. But it's times like this where I feel like you could use help. Yeah, there's there's been a, a life quality of life sacrifice, especially because my wife's at condo right now. So I'm yeah. also single dadding right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyways, we're going to get through it next. Tuesday is going to be awesome. So yes. make sure you're subscribed yes. and refresh that page every hour all <laughs> Tuesday next week. And there's obviously we can't talk about, but there's some exciting products coming up uh, that we're playing with. It's yeah, Septem- September yeah. is uh, large in what it's doing. Like August felt slow because it was it's all backloaded here. And then September yeah. is just full to plow. Yeah, be uh, ready. I, Briefly, what I've been doing is painting the inside of the house that I recently acquired because uh, I think I mentioned before that there's not a single surface on this entire house that was not painted poorly. Like the entire, <laughs> like there's at least two shades of color on every wall. It sucks. So we're going in there and repainting everything, and it is not easy. I think uh, everybody has to realize, and Jaron is now realizing that his what have you been up to last week 
will yeah. be working on the house for the next six, yeah. seven, eight weeks for at the least. foreseeable future. Yeah, trying to get Guaranteed. a hold of like uh, journeymen craftsmen <laughs> to, to fix things because you know, like you can't. Every the demand for electricians is through the ceiling right now. It's impossible <laughs> to get one. Is that like, there's sinkhole under no, my concrete it's, pad. It's, <laughs> legitimately, I can't find an electrician. <laughs> All right, okay, let's move on to tech support. Um, Jordan, you're going to lead this one. We have one question this week and it's all you okay so juju glassman um which is an excellent handle uh, i hope that's your <laughs> that's real name, name actually this was an yeah, email that's, so that's awesome name, name. <laughs> oh great um so they were looking for something with very flexible settings for both frame rate and shutter speed so they want to create like some blurry look with 360 degree shutter angle which is absolutely something that you can do in normal record yeah. modes the thing is they want to go to like really slow frame rates like one frame per second two frames per second and that does get really difficult because you know you could absolutely record at you know 24 frames per second, but your slowest shutter speed is going to be a 24th of a second, or you're taking a photo and building a time lapse. Uh, so on most cameras, this is actually something that's really difficult to do. And they said they're looking around like a 10, like a thousand to $2,500 price range. And what's really great is there are a lot of Panasonic cameras that are going to let you do both, uh, choose a variable frame rate and also use shutter angle in conjunction with that. Um, the big problem with, you know, it's like uh, Sony has a slow and quick mode um, available in them, but they're usually your minimum shutter speed is going to be your frame rate. Uh, yeah. Even if you're going to like those slower frames. So yeah, on the Panasonic side, you can put it to variable frame rate. You choose your output frame rate, you dial in your shutter angle. It gives you all kinds of, creative options and then it's just going to export as a video file so you don't have to go to the hassle generally what i would do if i were looking for this is you know shoot like one frame per second with a one second shutter speed and build a time lapse out of it which is super cumbersome so i do really like this flexibility and then there you've got this in like a gh6 if you were looking at micro four thirds or you could move up to the uh S52, S52X that's filming me right now would be a really great option for that. And yeah, it just opens up a lot of creative freedom. And I want every camera manufacturer to give me this flexibility. It's not that hard to program in yeah. a frame rate and a shutter speed. And almost no one does it. They want to segment it to the cinema lines. And it's, uh, it's shocking stop. how few cameras even give you shutter angle in degrees, which is really handy. It's, it's shocking how few companies actually do that. They force yeah. you to go into like a photographic shutter speed and, you know, match your frame rate based on what you want for the effect. It's, t it's weird. Yeah. Like if you want to create one, um, a brilliant movie I watched recently is Chunking Express, which is all shot with like low frame rate combined with a uh, very slow shutter speed. And it looks incredible. Uh, also, yeah. that's a movie you should all watch because it rules. Um, <laughs> Well, so. I mean, Juju Glassman even references that very movie. So, oh, GH5, that's probably what made me think about it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a wonder, it's a wonder how that works. Uh, uh, GH5 is a good option too, right? I mean, it was very affordable now. Yeah, it does shutter speed and shutter angle. Yeah, that, that would be a VFR, great option yeah. as well. So, yeah, certainly in that thousand to twenty five hundred dollar range, there's going to be some good options there. But it's going to be Panasonic. Uh, Blackmagic does offer this as well, but uh, I prefer Panasonic's implementation yeah. of it. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Juju, <laughs> for the question. That is the only tech support question this week. So if you have Ooh, other questions that would fit in there, listeners, please let us know. Uh, <laughs> we're going to move on to never read the comments, where we make sure to read all of the comments. And this week, the ones that they are related to are the 8K 
video shootout that right. uh, Jordan did. Uh, Some we'll, people we'll, had opinions on that, it turns out, Jaron. A lot of strong <laughs> opinions. Uh, so this one was an email, and it came in almost, I would say, within the exact amount of time it took them to have, after we published and then watched your entire video, this came in. So we're talking within 30 minutes. Um, yeah. Jason Carey says that 8K is ridiculous unless you need it for a very specific need. A good HD Correct. Blu-ray looks better than a streamed 4K or 8K signal. 8K will never be a standard. There are some use cases for 8K, but not many. It takes up too much storage, slows down computers, and will never be used for TV mastering. He's basically saying that this entire exercise was not necessary. Mm-hmm. Jordan, do yeah. you agree? I mean, this is great because I've lived through this. This is one of the benefits to being older is when 4K came out, the exact same argument. There's the no same 4K. Thing. No 4K panels. It's way too hard on your computer. And all of those were absolutely valid. Um, you know, I do think we're getting to the point of diminishing returns if people are using like a regular television screen with a comfortable viewing distance. Sure. But absolutely, if I'm sitting at a desk working, like I can see the difference with 8K video and 8K display, um, there are applications for it. And storage and processing is going to get cheaper and cheaper. It right already now, is. Yeah, absolutely. And right now, you know, it's more manageable, I would say, to work with 8K than what 4K was when it first came out. So we're already a little ahead. Is it something that I need? I mean, I refer to the people who say that they need 8K as maniacs in the first 15 (laughs) seconds of that video. Like, no, I don't think it's an essential thing. I think there's a lot more valuable things that they could be putting effort into, like standardizing HDR. Like, good-looking HDR, I think, is way more compelling than more resolution. Yeah, it's a nightmare. (laughs) Um, I mean, at least numbers everyone can agree on. It's like it's got more pixels. Yeah. I think this uh, very Sith-like absolute of saying 8K will never be a standard. Um, that was a Star Wars reference. I don't know if you care. <laughs> uh, that to me is you can't say that. You, you, no. You, because that was the same. Like, as you mentioned, 4K, people were like, I don't need 4K. What do we need 4K for? And now I'm like, I watch something that's not 4K on my television. Like, you know, yeah. I remember when we, we went to uh, Japan years ago. I may have already, you know, and Sumo was, uh, there's a Sumo competition we got to see. But the broadcasting, the they were advertising 8K. Like, like the TV broadcasting was in 8K, right? That was like six, seven years ago. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, yeah. I mean, Jason Carey's right. It is ridiculous in a lot of ways. It is very rare for very specific needs. But at the same time, I think it's negative to look at it as brainwashing or pissing contest. It really comes down to... It's just the way it goes, right? More megapixels. It's up to you if you actually need that or not. Uh, it will become a standard, I guess, at some point. I'm sure it will. Yeah. yeah when I think about something like the Apple Vision Pro or something like yeah. that, yeah, I'd rather capture my footage in you 8K. You need that resolution yeah. that, when you start getting into like what your eyes can process. At when your eye is that close. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people Absolutely. said that about 4K, and now people regularly watch YouTube channels in 4K. So Yeah, I do. Yeah. So, nah. Okay. So. Happiness, more optimism, less negativity. All right, but you're so not here we wrong. go from Andrew Mason. As a Nikon shooter, I would love to know what Sony is doing to get such good battery life and understand why Canon and Nikon can't do the same. Battery life is one of the two main reasons I prefer my Z9 over my Z8. More yep. customizable buttons is the other reason. Actually, never getting an overheat warning and just the feel of the Xenon are two more reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so many reasons. I like I like that this was stream of consciousness. That's great. Yes, I know the Z9 is heavier, but I'm surprised to hear myself saying how good it feels in hand. So but basically, what is keeping Canon and Nikon from making their batteries as good as Sony's? 
Backwards I, compatibility. They're obsessed with compatibility. it. Yeah. And it's totally keeping them back. Sony said, we have W batteries. They suck. I haven't had to use a <laughs> W battery in years. Thank God. Cause they're terrible. Um, and moved to completely new technology. And yeah. recently Fujifilm did the same thing, brought out their new battery series, which is comparable life to what we see with Sony Z. It's yeah. not like Sony has developed some sort of battery technology. No one else has. They just are using you know, current like technology Jeff. and not worrying about backwards. And, compatibility. You know, I, I can't about that. I can't talk to the specifics of the technology involved, but I would also say Sony probably has an advantage when it comes to their processors and how energy efficient they are. Because um, I know that's something they've worked on a lot with their new processors is to actually, you see substantial improvements in battery life on camera models um, when they upgrade the processing unit and say, oh yeah, it's the same battery that we had before, but we're getting way less heat loss, uh, you know, inefficiency. We're getting better um, efficiency across the board just for all, running everything the processor runs. And so that's another big part of it too. Yeah, like okay. Canon with the R6 too dramatically improved battery life yeah. with that older battery again, um, which really surprised me. So it's possible, but I think both fold. Canon and Nikon should just abandon backwards compatibility. No matter what professionals are telling them, it's going to suck. It'll be pulling off the Band-Aid, but it'll be worth it in the long run. Yeah. I was... I hadn't thought about this, but I, I th this use case is not normal. But my dad has an original 1D, and um, I had an R3 that I used on a shoot uh, recently. You guys were there. Well, mm -hmm. that's all I can say about it. His camera <laughs> battery, we were like, is your battery dead? I don't know. Maybe your camera died. I just pulled the R3 battery and put it in his 1D, and it worked. <laughs> That's, that's that's not, not okay. We don't that doesn't need to happen. I would have much rather had a different I think if that meant I got better battery performance out of that big chonker because you know that's the yeah. big boy. That's not the yep. little ones that most of these take. I, it is kind of silly that the backwards compatibility is still there. I mean, it's cool. It's nice. But if that's holding me back from better battery life, yeah, it's, right. it's, I, we can leave it. Let's all be thankful we're out of the nickel metal hydride days. <laughs> that's true. Yes, that's true. Um, Tom Ole asks, or rather says, a few things that I think should have been mentioned in the 8K shootout. Yeah, I'd Jordan. Like <laughs> You're like, like you weren't there, Chris? <laughs> I was filming in 8K. I accept feedback while you're filming. <laughs> Tell me what I missed. I'd like to have seen IBIS performance compared across the three for handheld. Does Absolutely. good IBIS come at the cost of cropped video footage? Sony Active Steady Shot, for example. What is the breathing performance of the associated native lens ecosystem? Yeah, I'm not going to do that in a camera review. What <laughs> support does each vendor give with respect to firmware updates to the body? Great topic. Know. Totally yeah. should have done it. Uh, uh, I mean, we are just so limited by time, frankly. Yeah. Like when I came to Chris and I'm like, we're comparing three cameras as opposed to a two camera shootout. We recently did that a seven, four versus, um, our six, two video. Uh, yeah, we're limited by time and absolutely. Like, I don't think I would do breathing performance of the lenses because third party can absolutely offset that for everyone, but Canon, but, um, I had to get one dig in there, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, firmware is something that I definitely considered and stabilization as well. Absolutely. Uh, we cut them for time and, you know, yeah. uh, maybe one day, if you people are demanding 40 minute episodes, then, well, frankly, I'm not going to make them. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan throwing out you people. No, I mean, Tom is right. But at the same, at the same time, this he is, is right, always... Absolutely. This, this has always been a challenge for any of our shooters, even the two camera shootouts, right? Not to mention when we did like, we would do like entry level APS-C body shootout. There'd be like seven cameras to look at, right? Like 
you gotta you sort of just compare pick, everything. Yeah. You gotta pick the ones that you have to, and just you gotta throw the others away and then deal with the horrible repercussions in the comment sections. We should just do a Patreon where like you want to watch the whole episode with all the categories. Yeah. That's seven yeah. bucks a month, mother effers. <laughs> and then they're like two hours and 46 minutes of these jokers. We would, we would need to get you some editing help because I don't yeah. feel like that's a feasible request even for $7 a month. No. I don't think he'd even edit it. He would just let it run as one big stream. <laughs> no. Unedited, just streamed. Yeah. Just okay. to, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. That's what the podcast is. <laughs> there you Fair. go. We'll, we'll do shootouts on our podcast. <laughs> Paul Rodeo says maybe a segment could include the quality of res- retrieving stills from 8K. Mm-hmm. Is that feasible? Is that yep. an appropriate recording format for that? I hadn't really thought about this since I hadn't. I mean, Lumix used to do the extract from 4K as like a thing. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure they still yeah. do. I just, it's just not, I never used it. Is this a thing? Yeah. You're yeah, talking I mean, 33 megapixels. I mean, it's tons of detail. The main mm-hmm. issue, and I'm sure Jordan will agree, and I'll let him talk about a most appropriate record format, but is the shutter speed. Because if you're following 180 mm-hmm. degree shutter angle rules, yeah. if we're shooting 24, 30 frames per second, we're typically shooting 48th to 60th of a second shutter speeds. And the problem there is you can only then pull stills if the camera's not moving and your subjects aren't moving quickly. Because like any photograph, you're going to get motion blur at those shutter speeds if there's movement. So the problem is we don't often shoot video at fast shutter speeds. Therefore, the feasibility of pulling sharp frames out of said video can be challenging, except in the most still of situations. Yeah, you just have to choose. I've said this for years. Um, Do you want to extract stills? If so, you totally can. Crank your shutter speed up. Red really pitched their cameras this way because they shoot uh, lossless compressed raw. You can extract full quality raw frames from every single frame. Um, And it makes a lot of sense for like high-end action work and stuff like that. Uh, It is absolutely a use case. You just have to be aware that your video is going to be jittery and stuttery after the fact. Yeah, you're not, Uh, you can't be shooting a video application and expect to pull stills out of it all the time, right? You got to kind of think ahead of time what you're going to do. Yeah, I mean, potentially uh, smartphones are capable of doing this as like, very quickly shooting something back to back at two different shutter speeds. Um, you know, we might see that capability in the future where it would be like uh, within the gap between frames, it records one at a 60th and one at a thousandth of a second and saves them to separate folders. It's possible. It's just going to take a ton of processing, but that's where we'll actually be able to get simultaneously shoot yeah. and uh, extract frames. And if so, you have a high resolution, like action camera or phone, it always shoots at fast shutter speeds anyways. So you can absolutely pull frames from those. So Jordan, tell the viewers, if you're not shooting lossless compressed raw camera, what kind of uh, record format, compressed record format would be most appropriate to still be able to do things with the photos afterwards? Well, with all the camera, well, not all of them, because the Sony only shoots raw at uh, 4.2K, but you can shoot raw video uh, and really process that, extract frames from it. It is a legitimate workflow. I would probably shoot log and use a custom LUT and apply it to your photos. You know, uh, Some cameras are even letting you do that to the stills now, some when you really don't want them to let you do that. <laughs> and you accidentally shot a bunch of stills in a log profile. Um, but uh, yeah, that. That, w- that would be what I would do because then you can grade it the same way you do in video. But if you don't have experience working with log video, then yeah, you could shoot raw video um, and play with that or just shoot it with a profile that you like and treat it like it's a JPEG. I've 100% shot in raw, Blackmagic raw, and then just extracted one single raw file and used that yeah. as a picture. I've done that. Yep. Works I great. think it's also worth pointing out, it's like 
pulling stills from video seemed like a really interesting way to to sort of mimic high speed burst rates, right? And and be able to pull those shots out. I know for a time it's kind of gone away, but for the, a time there, manufacturers have been advertising that, right, as a way to sort of, you know, for action sports, wildlife, get these fast burst rates capture every single frame possible. But now with stack sensors, I think we're going to see a lot of cameras going back to electronic shooting. Well, we have seen it at like 60 frames per second or even faster, where you're essentially getting the benefit of so many frames in, in a short time period to pull for action sports that you're not going to have to really necessarily pull frames out of video. Yeah, it's just clunky. Yeah. All right. Two more things. Uh, this one you've actually, you answer almost every week, but you get asked almost every week. <laughs> but I'm going to ask you again, just in case they didn't hear it last time. Uh, William Burkholder asks, Jordan, what do you use for everyday work projects that are not camera reviews? What do you, in all caps, you use or need to <laughs> I, use? Do you need to use 8K? And if, and that's a separate question. And then what's your favorite go-to system for video these days? Do you use 8K, Jordan? Uh, when I'm reviewing cameras, absolutely. For f- family stuff, absolutely not. For like, no, if, if, you were, if you were actually going to make a film, would you use 8K? Potentially, um, because depending on how I was delivering. Like the last actual film I worked on, we shot in 6K, delivered in 4K. I talked to you about that, Jaron, on your previous podcast. <laughs> um, years ago. <laughs> years ago. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, more resolution just gives you more options in post. Uh, so, yeah, if you the thing a lot of people don't understand is by the time you're paying a crew, like an electrician for the day costs way more than your camera rental package to shoot 8K and have a DIT there. So, um, yeah, why not shoot it at 8K, you know, in super high resolution? As long as, you know, I like the look of what that camera can output. A lot of DPs are saying, like, I want more dynamic range, so I'm going to shoot it on Airy and have lower resolution, more DR. You know, that's a creative choice. But Mm -hmm. uh, no, more resolution is not a detriment if you're making a film. Uh, For my family stuff, a while ago, we just said, like, okay, we're doing 4K24. So all of our home videos are consistent. We can cross-cut stuff from any year because that's the kind of nerd I am. I think about that, you know. <laughs> so if it's pre- if pregnant, if it's pregnant, I'm like, we got to settle on a frame rate for home videos before this baby You're is like, born. This baby's coming out like Chungking Express. It's going to be lots of motion and movement and blur. We're shooting at like a- six frames per second at a sixth of a second. It's going to be amazing. This birth is going to look like a drug-induced fever dream. It's going to be great. <laughs> and what are you shooting as a camera right now as your go-to? Whatever right. I'm reviewing that week. I mean, it's really the, the but, true but What answer. do you want to be using? I, I do love Panasonic. I, they're the cameras yeah. that just feel most natural for me to be using. I mean, okay. the uh, cameras that Jordan shoots, mostly it's been, you know, yeah, S5 II, GH6, right? Like, those are cameras that Jordan, you have lots of cameras to shoot the episodes with. That's what he chooses to shoot. So, yep. yeah, that is his go-to. All right. Final question, and this will take us right to the end. We have a couple minutes to answer this. This one this is, is a good from question. Doug on SpeakPipe. Let's listen in. Hello, Jaron, Chris, and Jordan. As a hobby photographer, I found myself chasing Alice down the rabbit hole when I learned about the Hasselblad X-Pin. I fell in love with the cinematic aspect ratio, the characteristics of film photography, and the width of medium format with 35mm compression, but couldn't justify the continually increasing cost. This led me down a path to Tito Ferrandens, Ad hoc projector anamorphic lens rigs and will likely culminate in an impulse purchase of a Sire or Great Joy anamorphic lens for still photography use. All of this to say, in your time as photographers and videographers, have you ever wandered down a very niche or specific rabbit hole in order to create your art, 
or to achieve a specific purpose and in the end was it worth your time energy and money or was it just another case of your acquisition syndrome what do you think chris have you ever done this this is a great question um I mean, obviously, he's speaking to to uh, something to do with anamorphic lenses, you know, doing these special rigs and stuff. And, and that's that's an interesting way. There's a lot of crazy things where you can build your own stuff. For me, I'm not so much a photographic experimenter, but as far as going down a rabbit hole, I've certainly done that. I mean, I went down the medium format rabbit hole. Uh, I had a TLR, Mamiya C330 TLR, and I played with that for a lot. Honestly, I, I couldn't shoot because everybody would stop me and ask me, what is that camera constantly? It was like so, so obtrusive. It was um, like you had an X100V. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, then I did go down the 4x5 rabbit hole. I got myself a Linhoff Technica 4, and I tried that. And uh, it's I get the appeal. I see the beauty of it, taking your time, slowing down. But I like to kind of shoot more on the fly and shoot more on the move. So I found it kind of a slow process. Um, and dust is always a pain in the ass and such. So that would be my my rabbit holes, different formats. And uh, I keep coming back to 35 mil or now digital, of course. I actually went down the anamorphic rabbit hole specifically that was mentioned yeah. here when I was testing some anamorphic lenses, even early on when anamorphic adapters hit. I just, I love the look of it, but it took a long time. And I, I shot photos with it, you know, which was a real pain is like, you have to look through the viewfinder at a squeezed image and try and visualize what it's going to look like when it's de-squeezed. Um, but uh, I went away from it because the majority of what I shoot is camera reviews. And it turns out anamorphic <laughs> doesn't play really nicely with four by three and two by three images. Um, <laughs> and it's something actually some friends of ours are struggling with at this very moment. Uh, it was a real problem because if I could, I would have absolutely shot our show in anamorphic. I love the look of some of those DP review and camera store TV episodes. We yeah. shot that way. Uh, it just didn't work for our format, but I would love to pull it out again for a creative project in the future. Like it's an aesthetic. I just adore. So my answer to this was prior to very good stabilization in cameras. So this was years ago. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to show you guys some pictures uh, so that I can put it into perspective oh. here in a second, but I was doing a lot of work in helicopters and because my specialty was video, I was being asked to produce video out of helicopters. This was Fun. prior to handheld, like single stick gimbals. The, <laughs> this was basically right when the very first DJI Ronin came out, which was like the big hulking one with the two arms. It was either that or the free fly units. Those are the only ones that were available. So I hope this is something to do with bungee cords or something to do with like <laughs> aliens. No. <laughs> body no, mounted I, I machine just, guns i was one of the only guys who was shooting 4k aerial footage in california uh who had this who, who knew helicopter pilots and who was working with people who i could actually do this with um so i actually let me let me share it now this is what i eventually was using in one case uh this is a picture of me in the helicopter using yeah buddy have you seen this unit before yeah. that's underneath my camera i don't know the balls you, the balls the black yes balls so inside form <laughs> so the, for the viewers listening jaron is cradling large black balls below this yes four of them below this black magic camera out of a helicopter the original right. cinema the least ergonomic camera oh, ever made so heavy <laughs> terrible but it shot 4k and it made very pretty footage and it shot yep. it in raw um Anyway, inside these black balls are spinning gyros, and they're all spinning at a rate where they will attempt to hold whatever 
plane you've given it. So if I straighten it, it fights you on it too. If you try and change yeah. what your what your straight line is, it'll push you back. So that that was the the very first. This, like I talked to a bunch of people who had shot at helicopters and they're like, they, this is the best way to go right now because it's compact. You have almost no range of movement inside Robinson helicopters, which is what I was mainly working out of. And this was a pain. I would eventually go and move towards a different, uh, <laughs> I, I, I realized this was very large, as you can see, like don't want to use that. So I went down a different hole and I went, well, what if I shot on iPhone? And so I was going through multiple iPhones, multiple formats, different apps. If you look at this picture, this is me using Filmic, which is still mm-hmm. a fantastic app. And then this little uh, gimbal here is one of the very first ones designed for smartphones that was in this single stick design. It was from a company called ICANN. Um, this cute. worked terribly. <laughs> didn't didn't do this at all. So this really does go along the question. I was like, did I get stuck down a gear acquisition rabbit hole, like trying to find something that would actually get me the footage of what I wanted consistently? And the answer to that was eventually yes, but I had to wait for technology to catch up because the cameras weren't doing well with stabilization. Uh, optically was not enough. When you get in a helicopter, optical image stabilization, it doesn't fight the vibration. It fights you moving up and down, but not like the jet or like this. Yep. And so... And these Robinsons, the way the the, the, the the engines work, it's constantly vibrating you like up and down yeah. and like little bits. And it was very challenging for most stabilizers. I'm I got invent, to the, go ahead, Chris. I'm gonna invent tiny little green balls for all cameras. Like for How APS-C. did I know this wasn't gonna be a real thing? Yeah. Yeah. It is real. Gyrosco- <laughs> I'm gonna call it Chris Nichols gyroscopic pickles, and it'll be little green balls that you put on the bottom of your cameras. And I think I'm gonna be a millionaire and you'll be so sad. Jordan, did you have a real statement to add to this? <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm really glad like right before UAVs really became a big thing, like all the drones became accessible. I got to do one shoot out of a helicopter and I did not have a stabilizer. I used a fig rig, the big circle, and bungee corded <laughs> yeah. that to the top of the helicopter connected myself to it and they wanted to shoot almost straight down so it was really cool i got to like lean out of the helicopter basically it's an amazing sensation and shoot like a wildlife rescue video that way uh it was such a cool experience and i i think if it was like six months later probably we would have just had a drone out there so i'm glad i got the experience but i shot it (laughs) on an af100 with horrendous rolling shutter no image stabilizer and most of my footage is like absolutely unusable so i got to have a cool experience i don't know if the client's money was the best spent in that yeah. particular situation but i've learned a lot st- since then <laughs> back in the day when stabilization was a metal ring yeah, yeah. all right well that's gonna do it for us that uh, hopefully answers your question doug we've all done something similar at least we've, we've gone trying to do something at some point i think me more than chris and jordan because i actually was attempting to find a solution to a problem that there was no solution yet. But uh, (laughs) thank you for the question. If anyone would like to submit questions like Doug did, we have a speak pipe. You can send us a audio clip for us to play on air and we'll answer the question. Uh, The link to that is in the description below. And if you're listening on the podcast, it is a link in the description of this podcast episode. Uh, Thanks again to OM System for sponsoring this episode with their excellent OM1 and OM5 cameras. We're very happy they do that. And uh, (laughs) gentlemen, we will... uh, Convene next week as we begin the onslaught of September, which will be yes, full it's gonna be of We're going to have things to talk about. So much. Yeah. All right. Click that notification bell. You don't want to miss it. There's going to be yeah. lots. Seriously. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Catch you next week. Bye. Bye.